ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Haskin Cast Podcast. I am your host, Scott Haskin, and I have... Man, I got a great guest for you guys today. You know, typically, I, I talk to people in the entertainment industry when I do interviews, but every once in a while, I get someone who comes along like this gentleman who... I got to talk to him because he's just all about putting good into the world and wanting to help people enhance their lives and be happy. And so much focus in the world should be on that these days. We're all stressed out between all the politics and you know everything that's going on in there. We got COVID to deal with. We've got all the you know different arguments between states and government, all this stuff that's just negative in our faces all the time. And when we find somebody that wants to shine a light, just crack through all that darkness we got to talk to him. You know, we got to find out what we can do to make the world a better place. And my guest today is one of those people. Michael Stevix has got two books out. Today, we're going to talk about one of them. And then he's going to come back on the show next month as soon as we figure out our schedules and talk about the other one. The one that we're talking about today is called Soul Lesson from the Wizard of Oz, How to Follow Your Yellow Brick Road. And that is available right now on Amazon and in paperback and Kindle format. I've got a link in the show notes. Make sure you click on that, pick up a copy. And then the other book that we're going to talk about next month is called The Six Fix Spiritual Healthcare for a Stronger America. That is also available in paperback and Kindle on Amazon right now. And yes, the link is in the show notes. Uh, when I interviewed him, one thing that we didn't talk about was uh, the websites that he's got. He's got uh, michaelshevik.com. But the main one uh, that we want to focus on today is ozsoullessons.com, O-Z-S-O-U-L-L-E-S-S-O-N-S.com. And again, links are in the show notes because I care like that. And you can click on those and, and check those out. He's really got some amazing stuff, a really amazing take on The Wizard of Oz. You know, it's it's so amazing that we look at some of these things that seem so simple and straightforward. But when we really start looking deeper into them, the the meanings that are are underlying that kind of hit us more on a subconscious level than a conscious one. But then when somebody figures it out and points it out, it, it really just kind of throws you for a loop. And I have not seen this movie in years. I don't recall ever reading the book. I may have, but if I did, I was very young at the time and certainly don't remember you know, any of the differences. So we talk a little bit about that, but he's such a great guy. It was a great interview. I cannot wait to talk to him more. And uh, I'm just going to get right to it. Um, the uh, Well, actually, I'm not. I'm going <laughs> to segue for just a second. The, uh, the trilogy is almost done. Uh, I'm actually doing a, another pass before I hand it off to uh, my new editor, which I'm very excited about. Thought I was going to have to finish this uh, by myself, but I don't. I have an editor who's willing to jump in and then a handful of beta readers that are going to give me their opinions before I put it out. But we are on target to release this year all three books in the trilogy. And uh, as soon as I hand this off to the editor, I get back to work on the next album, which should be out probably, I want to say August, uh, late July, early August is kind of the target for that. Very good chance that I could hit that, but you know, my shoulder is still messed up. So hopefully, uh, I'll be able to get the bass and drums done without too much problem, too much problem. I'm such a great host. I speak so well, don't I? Um, but anyway, that's pretty much what's going on with me. Now let's get to our guest. Very exciting conversation. You're going to want to stay tuned for this one. Michael Stevick, ladies and gentlemen, let's bring him on the show.
All right, ladies and gentlemen, I am very excited to bring a great guest on the show. I've just met him moments ago, uh, but I watched him last night on Alison Arngram's show, who you guys know Alison. She's been on my show a couple times and will be back, by the way. Hint. Uh, so go check out that show after you listen to this show and hear even more amazing news about both of his books. The uh, first book that we're going to talk about on today's show is going to be Soul Lesson from the Wizard of Oz, How to Follow Your Yellow Brick Road. It's a fascinating new take on the, uh, the film, The Wizard of Oz. And then next time he comes back uh, next month, we're going to talk about his other book, The Sixth Fix. That's kind of, I'm going to have to practice saying that. Let's bring him on the show. Let's, uh, let's welcome Michael Stivak. And Michael, how are you? I am fine, Scott. I hope you're well. I hope you're healthy and having fun. I'm doing great, thank you. That's very nice of you. I appreciate that. How are you feeling? I feel really, really good. It's, the sun is shining here. I'm just you know, recovering from winter, and it's great. Yeah, see, in Vegas, where I'm at, winter is is something that we want to hang on to as long as possible before the 118 degrees comes. <laughs> but I certainly, you know, growing up in Detroit, I certainly understand the kind of winters that you deal with. So I, I'm on board with you. Yeah, it's really nice. It's really nice. For sure. Well, I really enjoyed your appearance on Allison's show last night. Of course, that was, uh, that'll be last week for when this comes out on Wednesday. But uh, I always have a great time with Allison, and I love the, the idea of this book that you have, The Soul Lesson from the Wizard of Oz, How to Follow Your Yellow Brick Road. By the way, guys, that's available on Amazon right now in both uh, print and Kindle. So how did you come up with the, the vision? How did you look at this movie and go, wait a minute, I see something different in there? I, I, was, I was drawn to this movie as a child. It wasn't just like I was watching it and, and, and you know, you know, enjoying you know the mayor of the Munchkin City and the Lullaby League and all those things. There was something that it was speaking to me on a level that I really, at that very very young age, I wasn't fully aware of that level. But it was speaking to me, and I was drawn to it. And I and I actually would walk to the library and and take out the books and actually read the books. It was speaking to me, and I spent, I'd say, decades, truly decades of my life, without even realizing it, I was kind of subconsciously meditating on the story. I even came across an article in Psychology Today once where they were talking about The Wizard of Oz as an uh, analogy for therapy, you know, where you think the therapist is really the person who's helping you, but ultimately, you're like Dorothy, you click your heels together because you had to learn that the power was yours. So over time, it accumulated plus tremendous amount of uh, spiritual work that I've done, as well as religious training and education. One day, it just kind of crystallized, and it just popped out whole. I, I, I just kind of gave birth, and I understood it, and I said, oh my God, this is the simplest presentation of a spiritual path of every individual to, to unify themselves with, with life and creation with, and God, if you like the word God, but that sometimes can be very problematic for people. <laughs> yes. People do tend to draw a line when they hear that word. Either they are interested just because of that perspective, or they sometimes shy away because they don't, they can't look beyond just that being a perspective and say, okay, yeah, it's, it's, it's God, but what is the, the actual thing about that I'm going to read? 
I've always thought that there was more to that story than just what was told on the surface. Even when I saw it as, as a young child, I thought, mm-hmm. there's something I'm just not grasping. It's a much bigger thing. But then you get that Kubrick syndrome, right, where you start thinking, yeah, but, but everything that's classic, they start picking apart and they try to make something into what it's not. And, but I, I've always thought that there was something more than just the direct story we were told. So I really am glad that you and I identify that. Yeah, it, it, a lot of times below the veil of anything that's been written is many times the, the writer isn't even aware that they're projecting that in. Sometimes they can, sometimes they, they can't. I mean, I'll never forget once I called the editor of Superman Comics because I suddenly realized that Kryptonian was Hebrew. Oh. And I was completely shocked only to find out that the people who had invented Superman were kind of Jewish boys from the Lower East Side in in in, in, uh, in New York. They had no religious training whatsoever. It just kind of came out of them. That's fascinating. And I was the first person to notice that it was Hebrew. Huh. So, you know, these things are very delicate. They can just come out of the author. I'm not even so certain L. Frank Baum knew what he was creating. Well, I think that happens a lot of times. You lock into a zone and you, you're just so focused on the main points and then all these other colors just fill themselves in. You're more of a conduit than you are an actual creator sometimes. Yeah, I think we are all conduits and we use the, the, the material that's in our subconscious minds and it comes out into a new form and it brings new life to that material that's on the inside, but we're not always aware of what's on the inside. Very true. Now, I want to be real clear on this because I don't recall ever actually reading the book, and it's been years since I've seen the film. Is your assessment based more off the book or the film, or are they pretty in line with each other? Um, they're, they're pretty in line with each other. However, there are differences if you've read the book. First of all, in the book, it's not a dream. Oh. She actually flies. <laughs> okay. And also, the the ruby slippers... That was a Hollywood screenwriter. Uh, they're silver slippers in the book. And in fact, Dorothy loses one of the slippers as she's flying back to Kansas and, and, and has difficulty uh, returning because of that. So there are some differences, but I did choose to follow the movie because it's, the, it's what most people do. Sure. And it's the simplest guideline to the meaning of the story, but the guideline is just as there if you read the book. Right, exactly. Now, I would think so, uh, because I've heard it's fairly close, but again, without having read the book or recall reading the book, I, I didn't want to state that as fact. Uh, so I appreciate that. But the the essence to me is that it was never Dorothy and a bunch of people. It was Dorothy with these characters that she was using to represent different parts of herself. Yes, that that's the basic way that I wrote the book, meaning Dorothy is, Dorothy comes from the, the Greek word meaning uh, a, a, a gift of God. Dorothy means gift of God, which is like a soul. And she's a very fractured soul. You know, part of her wants to stay in Kansas and, and, and just be around her relatives. Part of her is being threatened, Toto you know, which is a mirror of her own fierceness and her totem animal, 
you know, her, his, her spirit is, is, is about to be imprisoned and thrown in, in a bicycle seat basket and actually destroyed. You know, you know, Elvira Gulf said, I'm going to take him to be destroyed. Right. <laughs> you know, so she's being threatened. Her spirit is being threatened and it's threatened of being captured and destroyed. And she has to escape. And in the process of escaping, she she shatters into pieces. She's confused. One piece is her mind or her scarecrow. The other piece is her heart or a tin man. And the other thing is her courage, which is the cowardly lion. And for her to regain a sense of self after tearing away from the farm in Kansas, she's got to align. This is the key to the whole story. She has to go through the spiritual process of learning how to align her mind, her heart, and her will with her Toto spirit. And she has to learn how to gain back the power of that wicked wish that she was scared of. Take back the broomstick. Well, it certainly makes sense because we all reach that point kind of around the age that she was at in the movie where we're faced with going out on our own not having the support system that we're used to having, having to make decisions for ourselves that we're not used to making. And that can be a pretty scary thing. It's a frightening thing. In fact, you know, it's actually very similar to the story of the prodigal son in the New Testament. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to, you tear away from what you're used to. You, you have to leave Kansas. You have to leave ordinary life and you have to become an individual. And you have to wrestle with those pieces of yourself and, and put them together again before you can come home to, to really re-own where you were as a whole individual and not just a child being, um, you know, ordered around by Auntie Anne. And we all go through this process. It's the process of spiritual awakening. And the book outlines the process magnificently. Well, that's what I wanted to ask you about. So is it kind of a walkthrough step by step? Because the movie seems to take a reasonable order from beginning to conclusion. So I would imagine the book follows that as well. Yeah, I follow the order of the movie because the, the order of the movie is really excellent. It starts where we all are. Uh, we all are living in Kansas, by the way, with apologies to that fair state. <laughs> it's a nice place. But we are all taught how to live in, in our normal, everyday human body, which is black and white. If you don't eat, you're not going to live. Right. Okay? You need shelter, so you have to make money for sheltering. Everything has to be black and white and black and white and black and white. And you have to learn these things, otherwise you can't survive as a physical being. Sure. But once you reach a certain point, like Dorothy does in the movie, her soul, you know, her Dorothy, her, her gift of God, has to make a break because there's something other than black and white, humdrum, Kansas bodily life. She's got to begin to, to let herself be free and vault the heavens and really uh, believe in rainbows. Mm -hmm. I have driven through Kansas or you know, across it from, from one end <laughs> to the other. It is uh, the first half an hour is pretty beautiful. And then after that, it seems like it's a fair representation of that first half hour for the next nine <laughs> or 10 days. And uh, but but I could see 
growing up in a place like that where everything is calm and it's a, a fairly laid back life. I mean, you have to work hard to you know work on your farm or whatever you do, but it's a fairly laid back, non busy environment. I would imagine that would be another part of the uh, the frightening addition of going out on your own would be that the, any world that you're going to go to is not that. Yeah, I mean, that's the other aspect of Kansas. It's black and white. It's also very flat. And it's one-dimensional. Okay? And, it, and it's also lost between extremes. Just as there were two witches, one which is the witch of the East and one which is the witch of the West, Canvas is sort of flat and in between. It doesn't have extremes. And therefore, it's hard to find your passion and your sense of self. So, you know, Dorothy had to really find a strength in her in order to preserve her spirit or her totem animal, Toto. And she had to actually find a fierceness on the inside of herself to tear away and begin the ascent from Kansas consciousness to Oz consciousness, where we become spiritually awake and begin to tune into how, well, basically how the universe functions. Sure. But it seems like the thing that gets in our way more than anything else is ourselves, our own ego. Why is that? Well, because, first of all, the ego is a gift, right? There are many, many spiritual teachings that teach that the ego is a terrible, terrible, terrible thing. It's really a marvelous gift of individuality. But because it's a gift of individuality, if you emphasize it too much, it prevents wider and more magnificent spiritual forces from entering your life. You become too narrowed, too focused. You believe and measure everything according to one little tiny ruler which you're carrying around, which is your mind. And it's a wonderful thing to have an ego. Please, it's, it's, a, it's an amazing thing to be given that degree of individuality by the universe. But you can't measure anything 100% by your ego. You wind up coming to the wrong conclusions. You have to widen the field. Yeah. I think I've learned to trust my instinct more than my brain. If, if my instinct tells me to do or not to do something and my brain starts to argue that point, I kind of look at my brain and say, all right, I, I know you think you're trying to help, but the one who told me first is the one that I'm going to go with because that makes a lot more sense to me. Right. You're, you're representing my fear or, or you know whatever my experience is that judge the new thing that's happening, which... I think it's kind of a, a combination of being wary of our experiences, but not being afraid to do new things because something in the past didn't work out. Yeah, it's exactly it. Dorothy, if she had stayed in Kansas, would have been a prisoner of past conditionings, and she would have simply repeated and repeated and repeated the the tradition. In fact, you mentioned like heavy duty, a lot of work on those farms. Even the name Emily, Auntie M, means to labor. Oh. You know, it's an astonishing thing. So, you know, if she stayed in the conditioned lifestyle of earthly Kansas, she would not have been able to envision something over the rainbow and would have stayed spiritually stunted as a spiritual being because we're not merely natural creatures. The astonishing thing about a human being is that we're, we're not just natural creatures. We're also super natural creatures. And I don't mean spooky like supernatural. Right, I mean yeah. super from the Greek, which means beyond mere earthly nature. 
And we have to discover that spiritual gift in ourselves. Otherwise, we are not complete human beings. We're not complete. That makes a lot of sense to me. Um, what do you think is happening with, with people more today? Do you find that people are just kind of wanting things handed to them, not do, wanting to do the work as much as we used to, as we've kind of slowed down our, our thought processes with you know, the lockdown and depression and everything everyone's going through. Do you think that's had an impact on people finding this level of, of internal happiness? Well, I, I think there has been a kind of blessing to COVID in that we got reframed. If we were spending some time distracting ourselves by things, we could not distract ourselves in the same way. And so I think it had a sense of tearing us down and keeping us a little bit closer to earth and home. That I do believe. But I think in general, uh, this generation, Generation X and Y, is an astonishing generation, though they're terribly maligned, insofar as there is enough of that left-brained machinery and technology to set people free. And we have that. And the most amazing thing about this new generation is that we tend to be more right-brain dominant more creative, more intuitive. You know, you say, follow your instinct. Well, that's what this generation's about. And by the way, children are born right brain dominant. And it's the educational system in the past was pushing them constantly into doing left brained math and science and all these engineering things, because society at that time needed to build those faculties up. Well, now we're in a completely different thing where the two icons in American uh, industry, like Mark Zuckerberg and Bill Gates, well, they're college dropouts. Right. So the whole system has reversed itself. And what industry is looking for and schools have to deal with is the excitement of individuality and the excitement of spontaneous creativity that's inspired, that's inspired no differently than Dorothy when she's at the corral and she's dreaming of a rainbow. Mm -hmm. There is an inspiration, almost a downloading of knowledge because we have progressed so much as a society, we have to open up other faculties than just our rational mind. That's a very, very good point. I'm really glad you said that, actually, because that's, that's pretty on par with what I've been thinking for quite some time now. Um, let me ask you this. So in your book, Soul Lesson from the Wizard of Oz, you talk about following the yellow brick road, which is obviously, as we've talked about, kind of going through the process as they do in, in order in the film. But what's, what's the, the step, would you say, to just getting to that road? Well, first thing is appreciate Kansas. Kansas. You're in Kansas. Start where you are. And first take a look at your life and say, what's not working? Where am I unhappy? Where do I feel like I'm corralled? Where do I feel that if I'm not careful, I'm going to fall in a pigsty like Dorothy? Get clear with, not, with what's not working. You know, I'm a very, very simple guy. You know, where you're not experiencing good, there's an opportunity to grow. And for me, the word God is just a contraction of the word good. It's like concentrated good. And if you can, if you can get an increased experience of good, you're having an experience of God. Another way to say that, if you're religious, is to say you have God's blessing. So 
as you enter the spiritual path, you begin to understand that how you feel on the inside, how you're programmed on the inside, reflects on the experiences on the outside. Mm. And you begin to notice that there is a linkage between your inner world, your inner world of thought, and the outer world, which is the world of extension. And you begin to notice that as you clean up a lot of the stuff on the inside, the world experience that you're having gets a lot better. Religious people call that repentance. Okay, but it's the same phenomenon. You're cleaning up the inside. As Jesus said, you're cleaning up the inside of the cup and the plate. And then the outside gets clean. And that is a spiritual path. And Dorothy, throughout the entire story, is constantly getting clear with her own mind and her own heart and her own her own courage. Mm-hmm. I've always looked at it as uh, kind of like looking at the world through dirty glasses. You're only going to see so much beauty, but as you start cleaning the, the lenses, all of a sudden the world becomes more vi- vibrant and more pleasant and you want to look more. But if you're if you're not looking through, you know, clean lenses, you're going to have a skewed version of what it is that you see. That's exactly I use the same exact analogy a different way. If you're looking out of of a glass window and it's cracked, Mm. you're going you're not going to see the unity of life. But if you take the pieces of yourself, your your scarecrow, tin man and cowardly lion, and you begin to bring them together. So they're all companions with you in the right direction on the yellow brick road. You will experience the innate unity and order of life. You'll be harmonious and aligned with it. That is the spiritual experience that it's oftentimes called grace or providence. I like that. And it's right here. Everyone has it. It's part of how we're designed. It's, we don't have, it's just built in. To figure out where, you know, you know, a lot of people I think kind of don't know why they're unhappy. They just know they are, but maybe they can't quite pinpoint the reasons just yet. Do you suggest like a, a meditation or finding some way to kind of calm yourself and, and get out of your own head so that you can see who you are and what, what you're all about? Well, the first thing to do is realize that if you're aware that you're unhappy, that means there are two people. Right from the very beginning, you know, there's a Kansas self and an Oz self, because if you are aware that you're unhappy, then there is a side of you that's unhappy and another side that's aware that you're unhappy. So there are really two people right then and there. And the trick to spiritual development is to pay more attention to the observer, to begin, begin to see yourself objectively. Now, you can, everyone can do that themselves, but oftentimes it's good to have a good friend, a good teacher, um, uh, someone who's on the path the way you are, so that you can reflect back the learning of yourself to each other, and that speeds up your process. Sure. And I think every once in a while, and tell me if you disagree, but I think every once in a while it's a good idea to look back and see how far you've come and really appreciate the accomplishments that you've made along that way. That makes the rest of the journey a little easier. Well, always. You know, Scott, it's amazing how adept people are at slamming themselves when they do something bad, but they just are afraid to just pat themselves on the head and say, oh, my God, you did so good. You've come so far. 
you know, there is a built-in bias where somehow if you love yourself, that's an act of egotism and selfishness, and nothing could be more false to the spiritual path. Sure. We've, we've been programmed badly. Very bad programming, and a lot of bad religious programming. It's programming based on martyrdom and self-sacrifice, where you, know, you, you must take care of other people to the detriment of yourself. Mm-hmm. And in that situation, you're adding to the universe. You're you're adding to the universe and subtracting at the same time. Right. And it's a it's a net zero. No, martyrdom is useful on certain very severe situations, like you know, if your kid's going to get hit by a bus, you know, you 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 throw yourself at the bus and push the kid out of the way. I understand that. But for everyday circumstances, we spend so much time self-sacrificing ourselves, and we come up on the short end of the stick, and we, we are angry because we keep giving and giving and giving, and we don't get back, and we feel that we, we're not getting everything we put out. Yeah, and, and in these days, not getting everything we feel we deserve out of life. Yes, and, and then we start to get angry instead of recognizing a spiritual experience, which is when you're not feeling right and not happy and feel like you're missing something, that discomfort is always a sign that there is spiritual learning to take place. Just the fact that you're uncomfortable with not receiving from having given so much is an indication that usually there was manipulation in how much you gave in the first place or that you were giving overly too much because you were trying to either buy a good name for yourself or make people love you too much. And the fact that you wind up on the short end of the stick is spiritual instruction on the yellow brick road that you're not giving correctly. You're not giving in a way that affirms other people and affirms yourself. Right. Well, there's a difference between growth and personal gain, right? personal gain would be something that would be more like, I want to do something to further myself above others or be seen to be doing something that will make others look at me better in a better light, uh, as opposed to, you know, personal growth, which is more like, I want to look at the world better. I want to be seen as a more spiritual and happy being so that maybe people will follow that lead or they'll be happier around me. Um, Those are such important differences. Yeah, it's it's just it's very important to understand on the spiritual path of the yellow brick road, when you're giving correctly, when you're really giving correctly, you are energized. Mm-hmm. When you're not giving correctly, you will be depleted. So you know whether it's parenting or whether you're in at at the job and concerned about what your boss thinks about you. The idea is to serve and lovingly and generously, but in a way that affirms you because you're part of this world too. You can't serve the world unless you serve also yourself. You're a part of it. That's very true. That is very true. I think uh, it's time really for everyone to take a walk down that yellow brick road. So go to Amazon. You can get it on Kindle or in print. Soul Lesson from the Wizard of Oz. Michael, thank you so much for coming on the show. I look forward to continuing this discussion next month. Well, thank you. Thanks for being so kind and, and, and welcoming me because I, it, it, I, I really think it's an important little book. 
I do too. I, I think the fact is, is that the tools are there. It's a matter of grabbing the tools, deciding you want to construct a better life for yourself and taking that initiative, but also sticking with it, rewarding yourself along the way. Know that there's going to be some bumps and hills. It's not going to be easy. And even when you're done, you're not done, right? There's Life is going to change and evolve. You're going to find new things. You're going to have different feelings. But if you don't start on that path, you're probably not going to be the happiest of people for the rest of your life. No. And your worst fear, this is, I want to just leave this for everyone. Your worst fear is your power in disguise. Mm. Face your worst fears and you'll discover power that you didn't even realize that you had. Well, peel away the onion, right? Peel away the onion. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much, Michael. It's been great talking to you and we're going to do this again. Thank you, Scott, so much. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, I hope that you're still listening, that you haven't stopped because you've downloaded the book on Amazon and you're sitting there reading it on your Kindle right now. Uh, Hopefully you've done that because this is uh, such a great thing, a, a great opportunity to find a better way to live life and be happy and, you know, make others around us happy. You know, my friend Candace called me once a, well, several times actually called me a magical ball of happy. And I love that. I love finding ways to bring joy to other people's lives. And it doesn't have to be through art. You can do it so easily. Just show someone you care about them, put a little bit of a lift in their day. It's amazing how far that goes. They might take it to somebody else and that person takes it to another person. Just keep it going. But it all starts right here, getting on that yellow brick road. Have a great week, you guys. We'll see you next week. Cheers.